Binge Movies, the revolutionary force in movie reviews. Coming to you from the last video store in the universe, it's Binge Movies 129. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank Cronenberg. Hundred twenty nine episodes, a great many conversations about film. Later, most of the longest and most downloaded conversations with none other than the man across the screen from me, a man in the autumn of his years, as I am in the summer of mine. Paul from the countdown, yada yada yada. We're here to talk about sex perverts, Paul. You are a sex pervert and licensed therapist. Let's get into it <laughs> in that order. In that exact order. <laughs> uh, yes, thanks for having me back, Jason. It feels like it's been a long time since we've shared the mic. Maybe that's because last time was about 13 hours of raw audio that you had to distill down into a palatable 3.25 hours, give or take. Yeah. Uh, I think what it really is is you just got to the point of complaining so much about uh, the, how the length of the binges that I just said, I got I to I got lay off this guy. I know. <laughs> Well, if you got a golden goose, you don't want to work it too hard, right? And uh, you're the goose that keeps on giving, but you can only give so much, Paul. Well, you know, you can only shit out as many eggs as you can in, <laughs> in one particular day. That's true. But no, yeah. it's, it's a pleasure to be back. I always enjoy these conversations. I can't promise how, where I'm going to land on these films, but I will say this. At least we're not dealing with Dom DeLuise or yes. Talking Monkeys or... Yeah. Singing Monkeys. Yeah. Biplane flying yeah. monkeys, aviator monkeys, <laughs> surgeon monkeys. This is absolutely a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pleased that now, you, you reserved me for the sex pest slash degenerate slash whatever you right. want to call it episode. Now, in David Cronenberg's latest film, they have a byline or a line in the film that says sex or surgery, excuse me, surgery is the new sex. Oh, God. That sounds like crash ready. <laughs> and I just want to say, for Paul and I, monkeys are the two sex. The views of Jason right. and the Binge Movies Podcast do not review the views of Paul or the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews Podcast. And Dom DeLuise is the old sex. Sure. <laughs> <you> Christian <laughs> for the pushing ball. <laughs> it's a man who's filled out in all the right places. Whatever floats your boat. And that, that line, yeah. there's your byline for this entire episode. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats your boat, yeah. Which in the case of David Cronenberg, who we're going to be ranking and doing a little bit of a career retrospective of sorts on, what floats his boat is flesh how many times in this episode will we say old flesh new flesh flesh you don't know anything about the flesh the flesh paul really we should both be doing this in person naked 
at a small table across from each other, staring deeply into each other's eyes to get the tone of what it's like to be in a David Cronenberg no, uh, yeah. movie marathon. And then one of us should start rotting. Yeah, whilst the other person has a finger stuck into it, some orifice or other of the other. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All of our orifices is, are clear, at least above the table, as far as I know. Butt plugs aside, <laughs> we are ready to go. Paul, my precious friend, my precious jewel. Paul, who must be protected of all costs. The golden guest, the golden <laughs> god of guests. What's your history of David Cronenberg? I've seen most of his films. have seen no. a few of them. One of these included at the cinema. I would say I was middling on Cronenberg before doing this retrospective. Some of his films I really, really like. Some of his hip films completely and utterly missed the mark for me. The worst of which, off the top of my head, being the aforementioned Crash, which is one of the most head-scratchingly, <laughs> disgustingly awful films I've ever had the misfortune of sitting through. I no. guess we'll find out about these ones, where they fall in that sort of spectrum. What did you just say? Head-spinning, disgustingly head awful films? Yep. Head-scratchingly, disgusting, awful films. Does that include or not include The Suckling? The Suckling wasn't David Cronenberg. Oh, you're saying in that no. in that period. Yeah, yes. but you the know, suckling, you said it's one of the, the most disgustingly right awful yeah. films. You're telling me that Crash is more disgusting and awful no. than the Suckling? No, it's not. It's not more disgusting or awful than a Serbian film if you want to pick something else off the top of my head. Okay. But it's gotcha. in that top ten films. It's certainly one that I went to a cinema to see that yeah. was had a wide release. I would Did you wear a top. trench coat? No, strangely enough, and it was from vague memory. It was at our art house cinema that is no longer in existence here in, in Perth. Yeah. Is yeah. art house a euphemism, Paul? Let's get into it. <laughs> no, did, not in this case, but it did may Did you cut a hole in the bottom of the popcorn box? <laughs> it gets bigger when I pull on it. Hmm. No, not for Crash. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. all right. We, sh we should probably go on record at this early point and saying you know that whatever floats your boat comes with no judgment if that's your thing that's your thing as long as it's safe sane and consensual knock yourself out because yeah. this this episode is going to go places where yeah there'll be more head scratching and probably try not to be too subjectively judgmental about what other people's kinks may be say something crazy like i'm wearing ladies underwear i'm i'm wearing ladies underwear Are you? I most certainly am not. It looks like you most certainly am all. I am not. What kind? It's a thong. Ow! Their briefs are not. Are too. Are not. Are too. Is David Cronenberg? Serious question. Is he a kink filmmaker? I think he's the most mainstream kink filmmaker that is working, and he's held in pretty high regard mm. by by a lot of circles, and yet he definitely. Uh, there's a recent quote from him that says, I just, I, I'm not trying to freak people out or do weird stuff. I just make movies about the things I think about and the things I think we all think about. <laughs> Good on you, David. <laughs> whatever, whatever way you can justify yourself, that's okay by me. I'm not sure half of what you think about has ever crossed my mind before sitting down to watch one of your films. <laughs> okay. As a clinician and as a film critic, which hat you think are you going to wear more today? Film critic or clinician? I'll try and stick with the film critic hat, but no doubt yeah. we'll, we will segue into some clinician territory at times. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, try not to, I'll try not to, though, because that's pretty boring. Whereas me just going, uh, oh, my God, is probably slightly more entertaining. I, th 
I think in some cases, though, Paul, we might need some of that expertise to help decipher uh, what is going on here with this man. Because there, there is a, as all jokes aside, there is does seem to be a reoccurring theme uh, about the body, which he oh, yeah. only simply refers to as the flesh. Because David Cronenberg is not just a, a director, which he, of course, is, but he's also a screenwriter. And he has written most of his own films, if not all of them. And so you can't say, well, you know, he's yeah, he's a weird filmmaker, but this isn't. He is a true auteur, yes, and he has a very distinct set of things on his mind, and he works them through all of his movies, regardless of what the box says those movies are about. I think that I'll make this word up. Auteurism, in his case, though, is about thematically rather than visually or technically yes. represented, because yeah. these films look very yeah. different. Across the spectrum. And, and I realize we're covering, what, somewhere in the order of 23 years or so or tw- something like that. Almost, lines, yeah. Of, yeah. Of his career. So, of course, he's going to evolve and change. But, you know, Existence versus Shivers, I wouldn't have thought, other than thematically, they were made by the same yeah. filmmaker and obviously everything in between. The only reoccurring thing that, you can, that I can really pinpoint uh, is his movies tend to sound the same as far as... Um, and we'll get into it specifically with some of these as far as the cadence of some of the dialogue, mm. some of the dryness, almost the sterile nature of which, yeah. tip, in particular, as protagonists sort of speak, they're all sort of vague, neutral characters, long, meandering shots. You know, he doesn't cut very frequently. He just puts something usually horrific, if not physically repulsive, psychologically horrific in the center of the frame and then just sits on it. Um, long tracking shots, um, but not a lot of flourish. He's not a fancy no. filmmaker in the traditional sense. Uh, and his pacing is pretty deliberate, which some people might find to be boring mm. or uh, too overlong in some cases, which I'm sure is a criticism will come up from you of <laughs> some of these movies. Uh, we get it, just get to the point. But yeah, you're right. It's it's He is a unique filmmaker in that he has found a way to work themes more so than a particular aesthetic throughout all of his work so let's jump back in time let's start at the very beginning perhaps in some sense Cronenberg is most sexually perverse let's start with 1975's Shivers which currently has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes on this island in this building through this door down this hallway lies the most frightening experience of your life. Prepare yourself for they came from within. What are they? Raging demons that must be exercised. Bloodthirsty creatures that must be killed. Or incarnations of absolute evil. They came from within. They possess men, women, and children. And drive them to acts of unbelievable horror. No one is safe from them. No power on earth can stop them. The only escape is death. They came from within. If this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick. Rated R. Shivers was written and directed by David Cronenberg, as all these films were. It was produced by Ivan Reitman, of all people. It was a genius. It was released September... <laughs> yeah. September 26, 1975, in San Antonio, Texas, and October 10, 1975, in Montreal. 
on a budget of 179,000 Canadian dollars. Uh, I don't know if those are loons or tunes. Uh, <laughs> Canadian binge lords, help me out. Loonies, toonies, I don't know. Uh, it made 1 million Canadian dollars. Venereal orgy-inducing parasites spread through an enclosed luxury community thanks to a mad scientist and his teen sex abuse victim. Yeah, shitty attempt at a David Cronenberg version of a zombie film. You say shitty? Yeah, I hate this movie. This is terrible. The shooting title for this movie was The Orgy of the Bloodsuckers. And then it was released as They Came From Within and The Parasite Murders in various markets. And my first question right off the bat is, is this a zombie movie? And you've already answered that. You say it is a zombie movie. By the it's end of the film. One. Yep. All the criticisms that you could level at David Cronenberg, as far as I'm concerned, this film is the visual, or if you want to call it the cinematic equivalent or representation of them all. It's too long. It's completely nonsensical. Characters do stupid things for no apparent reason whatsoever, other than to further the plot. It makes... It does make, eventually make sense, so what's happening does come to light. But to get there, particularly, as you say, the main protagonist and some of the people before they're infected, it is just daft how stupid that they are throughout this film. And it ends with some of the most idiotic versions of the, you know, kind of... I know Romero made Dawn of the Dead after this, but it's almost like yeah. he watched Shivers and went, I can do that final scene infinitely better uh, than yeah. this, this idiot here, so who's riffing off Night of the Living Dead as far as I'm concerned. I did not like the film at all. There's nothing redeemable about it as far as I'm concerned. Well, okay. I think that the, this is a world, the world of this film is a ugly world populated by ugly people in ugly clothes doing ugly things. And with the, I think this is one of the few movies, however, that has an actual joke. And... I, Cronenberg's sense of humor seems to be, at least at this time, having someone violently vomit a parasite over a balcony onto an old lady <laughs> as she's like. going for a walk. <laughs> and this is his, only his third feature film. It's basically his first actual theatrically released film for all intents and purposes. Already we see his fascination with aberrant behavior and the transmutation of the body. Yep. He's combining ideas of organic pollution with existing moral pollution. So the, uh, this is maybe one of his lesser seen films, except for hardcore uh, horror fans or Cronenberg fans. Um, essentially, it's about a mad scientist who thinks that he, if you could, you could genetically engineer a parasite to replace organs in the human body. That's the cover story. What he's actually doing is he thinks that human beings have become too too... Uh, they've become overthinkers, and that's destroying the world that we need to give back into our animalistic hedonism. And he's created a parasite that essentially makes a human being a, a incubator for sex-starved parasites that turn you into sex zombies. Rape, rape zombies really yeah. is what it is, right? Yep. Yeah. This film is gross through and through. And the way that he does that is by installing these sex parasites into an underage schoolgirl. Well, okay. One of the things that made me very uncomfortable. Who then is fucking? Who is then is fucking many old men in oh this luxury God. enclosed community, and all of whom get the parasite because this parasite is not only a parasite; it's almost like an STI or STD or yes. venereal disease. Yep. It's, a, it's a mutating STI, basically. But this know. parasite seems to behave by its own rules, depending on whatever the scene calls for it to do. 
That is true. Yes. So at, in one scene, it has to be vomited from one mouth to another. That's how it it, tra- it goes from host to host. You know, you got to ingest yeah. it. In another scene, it can writhe around on its own, climb up a uh, what do you call it? a walking stick or a, a Zimmer frame, yeah, and grab it onto someone arm. and bite her yeah. arm, and that's how it gets in. Like it's well, what is this thing? Which way, right. where does it go? Be consistent with what you're presenting here, Cronenberg, and that really annoyed the shit out of me. But and then why? He has to do have done this just to be provocative. That opening scene where this old man is attacking this and strangling this schoolgirl who's not calling out for help or is just sort of writhing around. She's wearing a school yeah. uniform and she looks 14, if I'm being generous. Yes. Later yeah, in the right. film, I caught a radio broadcast saying she was 19 years old. Yeah, Why is she right. running around in a school uniform when she's 19 years old? No, that didn't make any sense. No, she's like in a Catholic schoolgirl uniform. Yeah. 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 She like, wouldn't be wearing that at college. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to get my... I'm scratching my head going, what's he... It's clearly just designed to make you uncomfortable. And then these lecherous other old dudes in this, you know, high profile, yeah. rich, uh, what do you want to call it? Apartment complex are bragging it's to like the a, doctor. Yeah, an enclosed community where yeah. like, the st- like everything you need... Is in this luxury complex. So if you have a store, you have a gym, you've got anything you'd ever want is inside this yeah. luxury condo tower, basically. Yeah. So uh, on an island. So where this is happy is happy in an island outside of Toronto or yeah. Montreal or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so they're that, closed that, off from the rest of society. And the main protagonist is the. It's almost like. Imagine it's almost like a, a cruise ship, yeah, but it's an in house doctor. Apartment complex. Yeah. So he's an in house doctor and the nurse. And they're the ones that kind of kind of end up <laughs> becoming the protagonist. But the, the the main guy, the doctor, is Dr. St. Luke, I think is his name, right? Yeah, Dr. St. Luke. I didn't write is the most nonchalant, oh. <laughs> lackadaisical guy. He just responds to stuff. He responds to he responds to sex STI slugs that infest bodies and come burbling out of vomit and shit and come. He responds to all of this. As if it's just, or as the French would say, le cum. Uh, 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 he just responds to all of it as it's nothing. That yeah. is just cut it, on the forearm. That tra- yeah, that, that you're that you're you know that somebody's knocked at the door to to mow your lawn. He's like, oh yeah, okay, all right, it's Tuesday. Go ahead and mow my grass. Yeah, come get the check afterwards. But that's how he <laughs> is the whole time. As by the end of this, hundreds of people. Are uh, becoming just a mob of rapists, old ladies, children. There are yeah. child rapists, and and presumably the little girl in the elevator was raped or something. And I did find that haunting. I did find that part chilling. The little girl. It, that was certainly a callback to Night of the Living Dead. It's just an invert. It's a twist on the little girl in the basement. Yes. And yep. instead, this is the little. This little girl is essentially cornered by a sex lunatic. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Here's what I think, okay. There is a little nod to the fact that the crazy doctor who created all of this basically was a sexual deviant. And so he created this thing to make people like him because he was a sex pervert. He, yep. he was. But Having they are. Here's girl. the thing. Yeah. They, his partner, who is a former teacher, or they're both former professors of Dr. St. Luke, none of them, neither one of them, or at least the surviving one, he doesn't he he doesn't condemn the mad scientist nearly enough. He's like, I told him it was wrong and it had gone on for too long. And it's like, but it's still played very nonchalant. Oh yeah, Doctor Saint Luke's like, oh yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. 
the seventy-year-old man was a, uh, had an was having quote unquote an affair with. I know they say say she's nineteen, but she's you're right. She's presented as a schoolgirl, yep. and that he then replaced her organs <laughs> with sex parasites. It's bizarre, right? Like it should have been a little bit more condemning towards that because I think if I had to guess, I think the theme that he's going for is that yeah, the parasites, the shivers. They're the uh, the slug things that yeah they're this disease there but that that makes people sexual deviants but they were really I think he's really trying to make the case that we're all sex deviants right isn't that it that we're that really we're all debauched and debased really it's the the slugs are not you know they're not they're not doing anything to us that we are, don't want to do and that we're not already doing ourselves isn't that a gist that you kind of get from it yeah I think it is which. It's a bizarre kind of message as far as I'm concerned. It's like, you're all as bad as I am really deep down, which is not just the mad scientist who then, for whatever strange reason, slits his own throat in the, in the yeah, opening right. scene. None of that well, makes he's sense. been fucking that girl, so he assumes he has the parasite. But if that's what he wanted everyone to be like, then, oh well. But I'm he was already, yeah, you're right. It's, not, it's inconsistent. <laughs> so yes. none, of, none of this really makes any sense to me. But yeah, I think you are spot on in saying that Cronenberg is, is commenting that deep down we're all disgusting perverts and this is just we one all way. We just want an orgy. Yeah. Well, yeah. and we want what we want and we're going to take it and, you know, really yeah. it's just the thin veneer of society that holds us back from, from all being like this. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. The only, listen, the only person I know who's ever been in a gangbang is not on this call. <laughs> you know him. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little tease for you binge lords out there. <laughs> you know him well, Paul. <laughs> um, look, I also think movies at this time in particular, and for a long time, unfortunately, had a pretty flagrant problem with women, the presentation of abusive sex, huh? and rape and pleasure, as well as rape as plot point to justify male actions. So, like, it's the old trope of, well, she didn't really want it, but the cowboy sleeps there anyway, so then you could tell she enjoyed it, or she doesn't even want to be kissed, but the hero kisses her anyways, and she's like, oh. Or just using, at this time frame, rape as a plot point for male revenge, right? Yep. Charles Bronson, somebody rapes his daughter, somebody rapes his wife, you know, he's got to go kill everybody. And it's just like, that's where movies were, and this certainly falls in line with that. It was disappointing about the movie is that Cronenberg definitely seems to be a writer and director with more on his mind. And yet this movie falls short. Like if you're going to deal with these themes, he's the guy that goes into taboos. He's the guy that goes into stuff and presents things to us very flatly, very matter of factly almost that, that are uh, not polite at the very least to, for public discourse or to talk about in public, and he doesn't care. And then he goes well beyond that. And yet, it doesn't. with this movie, it doesn't really seem as if he has anything to say about it. It does seem like he's just doing it, to use your phrase, for shock horror. Mm-hmm. That this is just a shock. That this is a, it's a grindhouse movie. It's an exploitation movie. That's all it really has to offer. Overall, however, I'm conflicted about the film. Because I think the creature effects, based on the time, the budget, etc., are well done enough and hold up decently enough, considering age and budget. And I think okay. it is there's something to say about it because 
at this point, he's already a director and writer capable of like creating his mood and discomfort through minimalism. And it's, it, there's a, a disgustingness to the movie. And the movie unsettled me in a way. It didn't scare me, obviously, but it unsettled me in a way that actually lingered with me for a few days because I just found it so kind of morally repugnant in, in, in a certain sense. And, I, and then it's kind of the intention of the film. So it's like knowing the man, knowing the era, knowing that this story wasn't going to end well. Uh, it has a very dystopian sort of ending. Um, and yet being left creeped out by it, I, I, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. Okay. okay. We might, we might so very much differ then on this. <laughs> my score is going to be way too high, but wait for my rank before you kick the shit out of me, okay? All right. My score is a 7.5 out of 10. I'm waiting for your... his face. Holy shit. My rank is number four. I, I'm stunned that there could be anything worse than this film on this list. This is by far the worst of my week. Like, it's daylight from this one to my number four. Uh, I gave this a 3.2 <laughs> out of 10. And it's bloody lucky it even got that. I cannot tell you how many times I sat there in this film going, well, that's stupid. That's stupid. And that's stupid. It was just one scene after another, right the way down to the, cl- the so-called climax of this film, where our doctor yeah. is trying to get out of the building, and they, as if they're a hive mind, now suddenly start flocking and you know corralling him. Like, hang yeah. on, when was this established that they, this slug moves people together to, to achieve its end? This is why I felt like it becomes sort of a, like a zombie film for me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And they get him or whatever else. And then, you know, great big orgy ensues. And then somehow this yeah. parasite is so sophisticated, it then calms everybody down to the point where they can get in their cars and drive with the purpose of spreading it through the greater um, Canada area. Like, that's yeah. so dumb. It's only... The, po- the only point here is that, haha, evil slash, if you want to call it that, Biology wins. We're all this way. Uh, dumb. I hated it. I hated. I hated the way women were treated in this film. Not just in terms of. I know it's seventy five, but there's a point where this doctor, who is one of the worst actors that has. There's a reason you never saw him in anything ever, ever again, as far as I know. Anyway, I think there's a worse. I think there's a worse. Actor there is a worse actor list. coming in another film. I will agree with you. Yes, but he's terrible. His beautiful colleague, partner, nurse. At, the which nurse. You don't, yes. you don't even yeah. realize that that they're partners at this point when she's literally throwing herself at him while he's on the phone and his yeah, expression yeah. doesn't even change while he's talking to the doctor. Yeah. Then she and she's begs, gorgeous. She yeah. begs him to be able to go and cook a meal for him. He's yes. like, no, oh, I'll be pretty up. All right, then if you must, I'll yeah. allow you to serve me. Oh, I know it's a time and place thing, but it was just icky. The, the businessman, the arsehole businessman who may not have been an arsehole before he got a parasite in him, his journey with the parasite nah. is completely different to everybody else in the film. Okay, that's where I was going to go next. What are we to make of the fact that, okay, I, he, we, one, he was cheating on his wife. That's true. He was, Because that's how he got the parasite. Yeah, the parasite. Two, we saw him kind of be an asshole to her. So, I think we're meant to assume that he was just kind of a piece of shit. Yep. That's based fair. on those two things. I forgot about the um, fact that he slept with the, the schoolgirl to get this. Yep. Yeah. But number three, what are we to make of, you're right, everybody else seems to be kind of like, they, they're taken over by this, they become zombies, and sex rape, sex zombies, rape zombies, and this guy just starts like rotting, yep. 
He's like, he just was like profusely vomiting these slugs, except for one, which then he like, like coaxes into kind of staying in him. He's like, oh yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. We're going to be good friends. And then he just, he basically just dies from having too many slugs inside of him. Yep. Again, none of it makes any sense. And this is why it's gross. It's gross, but nobody else dies that way. Everybody else Mm -hmm. seems fine. And it's like, okay, what's this? Is there a statement there or just need more gore effect? What's going on here? I, I just think Cronenberg threw everything at the wall and just hoped some of it yeah. st- stuck. There was no real, the script to this is horrendous. It's really badly written. From a technical standpoint, sure, I get what you're saying about the effects being yeah. better than $179,000 Canadian dollars in 1975 would produce. I would agree. But everything else about this film, as far as I'm concerned, stinks. So this is your worst of the week. Oh, you yeah. gave it a three out of three point two out of ten. Three point two out of ten. Okay, moving on to nineteen eighty one's Scanners, which currently has seventy eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You are watching the live filming of a theater audience reaction to scenes from the motion picture Scanners. Ten seconds, the pain begins. Fifteen seconds, you can't breathe. 20 seconds, you explode. Experience the terrifying power of scanners. Their thoughts can kill. Rated R. Scanners, now showing at a theater near you. Scanners was written and directed by David Cronenberg. It is the triumphant return of Michael Ironside, who I have seen in so many things in the show. I don't even know the last thing I saw him in. I do want to nominate him for the Binge Lords. Maybe I'll put the poll up on Patreon, patreon.com slash binge movies, and let the patrons vote, uh, probably our top tier patrons. Do we think Michael Ironside should be added as a patron saint of binge (laughs) movies? This film was released January 14th, 1981 in the United States, January 16th, 1981 in Canada. On a budget of unavailable, Ooh. it made $14.2 million. Pharmaceutical psi freaks caught in corporate conspiracy control and blow minds. Heads will roll or at least explode when telekinesis gets the Cronenberg treatment. Tagline of this movie, 10 seconds, the pain begins. 15 seconds, you can't breathe. 20 seconds, you explode. Great tagline. Everything about this movie I should love. I've watched it. I've watched it repeatedly. I I always go back to it. I try to fall in love with this movie because there's something about the tone. There's something about the ideas that are in this movie. There's something about... There's something here that to me should be an all-time classic. And it's hampered by Stephen Lack is one of the worst male leads yes. in cinema history. 100%. And his face, his face is the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> people talk about the Uncanny Valley, they mean this man's real flesh face. I don't understand it. I don't know if it's lack of talent, lack of charisma, lack of reading comprehension, lack of emotion. Yes. He is one of the worst actors I've ever seen. And he almost single-handedly sinks this movie. Uh, Look, you've just stolen all my thunder. Honestly, on paper, and indeed the way this film opens and the the setup in the first 30, 40 minutes before really- All the ideas. Yeah. Brilliant. I I love the way- Brilliant. This this film is consistent. This film is- The script is sharp as from from 
really moment one all the way through the conclusion. Okay, the very, very last bit I have a slight problem with, but still, that's okay. Yes. It kind of works within the world. But Yeah. And this would have been my favorite film, I think, without him. Had we had an yes. actual, well-cast, good actor. Yeah. Maybe if we yeah. even flip the, the roles around and somehow Michael, Michael Ironside is so good in this movie next, yes. to, next to this guy. You can see right how back. he went. Yeah, you can see how he went on to have a forty-year career after this. Yeah, I never saw this guy in another film either, and it's pretty obvious why. I, he was obviously told to have no emotion in this performance, but oh my god, he's awful. He's a vacuum for all the other great shit that's happening on screen. Yeah, you know, there is a plot point about the fact that, like, you know, without the certain medication, he went psychotic, and he's a derelict, and they put him on meds, and it puts him in control, and so the idea is, like, maybe some of this is the medication, and But he's not whatever, on that medication whatever. anymore. But it's just, uh, it's just, it's so fucking bad. As I was watching this, as I was watching this movie, and again, I've seen this, I don't know, more than half a dozen times, it's something I go back to repeatedly to revisit, because I'm like... I, I know people who love this movie and swear by it. And I'm like, beyond the head blow up scene, of course, which everybody knows and is epic and is one of Amazing. the best head explosions yep. ever. Yeah. We all know that. But the actual story, the plot, the ideas, there's so much good stuff in yep. here that I was, I, was, I was like, this should have been, Paul, the Matrix of the 80s. Mm, nice. Like this it. movie is so far ahead of its time. He hacks a fucking computer with his mind over the phone. There's so many here's here's there's so many ideas here that have been picked up and have been carried on intentionally or unintentionally and things like Ghost in the Shell, things mm. like um uh you know, there's a lot of anime. Uh and I, again, I don't know if this is I don't know if they picked up this film at all or if it made any impression or if it's just parallel thinking. But there's ideas that obviously the Wachowski's lifted from this movie. There's this weird sci-fi yet grounded yet strange tone that he's able that he does try to recapture uh, in a couple of these other movies uh one i think to great success and one to not great success and i think that's where we'll deviate mm. he, he's he, you know it's just like this should be and some people already you know classify this this is a criterion yep collection film mm -hmm. yeah this should be an all-time classic movie this should be a movie that, like, for people like you and I, who are horror guys, who are sci-fi guys, who are movie guys, who are cinephiles, this should be something that we just go back to again and again and again because it's it is the source code of so much stuff, and I just don't feel that way about it because there's just something that doesn't. The movie is like firing in all cylinders. Lead aside, the lead character aside, the movie's firing in all cylinders and it's working. And it's it's building towards something, and then it just kind of starts, but it's it starts lurching by its end, and it's just it 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 loses its momentum. It absolutely loses its momentum to the point that that clash of psychic abilities between the two of them, bladder effects aside, which are always fucking creepy to me and highly effective. Bladder effects aside, it's kind of this movie's sort of anticlimactic in a way. Yeah, I agree, and it just loses itself. It's pretty boring. It's pretty boring and not great podcasting. Just to effectively say, I sign off on everything you just. <laughs> well, the said. movie's pretty boring in the middle. I think it's, it's, it's not so much get... the middle for me. It is that last act. It's the it's mm. when it's meant to be peaking. When you yeah know, he yeah he goes Very out right to the it. world. Yep. I think he the Doctor Ruth is it Patrick McGowan's yeah. really good 
in this movie. Oh, very good. I think he's yeah. great. And and again, every scene he's in, it just contrasts how good of an actor he is versus Stephen, whatever his name is, in the lead role. Yeah. He goes out into the world and he finds this rebel group of scanners who are working against what's Michael Ironside's character's name? Uh, Revic. Daryl Revic. And yeah. even the even the I should, I've skipped over some great stuff like the introduction of Revic and how he blows that guy's head up just because he can and he's eliminating yes. all the scanners that aren't aligned with him. Brilliant. Yes. Then you find out this company is kind of it makes perfect sense. It's created all these scanners with these drugs that that Dr. Ruth was injecting pregnant women with all those years ago. It's and now Revic's trying to redo the same thing to create his own scanner army. All oh, that's great. All oh, that's excellent. And yes. there's a mole on the inside though. I don't know why we had to keep. Uh, Revic's identity hidden for so long because it was it could only be one person that the mole was talking to at the train station. But that's a, oh, of course, that's a small yeah. aside. It all works really well. I would say all the way up to when they are finally captured, he and this out of nowhere love interest, which isn't developed at all, really. No, no. that's also a bit of a problem with the film. They're captured. The mole's torturing her by beating her up to get information, basically from her. He busts out. She uses her scanning powers to get away, and then then it kind of goes into well. It's all a bit. I like the bits where they're point getting guards to point the guns at themselves and shoot themselves, all yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's all good. They get out, and then that scene you describe where he he hacks a computer with his mind goes on for about fifteen minutes. It's just too long. It takes all the wind out long. of the, the yes. movie sales. Yes, as far as I'm concerned. And then we get the like I say the anticlimactic battle where the the female character is just being relegated to being laying unconscious in a room off the side, which is again a bit disappointing. Though I did like the reveal in the same year, I think as. Uh, Empire Strikes Back that they're brothers and that's why Revic hasn't been trying to kill although it makes no sense that Revic hasn't been trying to kill him because these guys are firing guns at, at our hero that's by point yeah that's what I was going to go to is like okay I think the plot point is not less for a twist and more so to explain why uh, our, our boy our main character oh, oh uh, you said Stephen what's his name his name is Stephen Lack <laughs> So when I apt. said he lacked charisma, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's an apt name. Um, it's a, it's the the pun wrote itself. It was a self fulfilling prophecy, uh, at least when it came to acting. Um, but yeah, Revic is like, well, the reason you are dead is because I've actually been protecting you. How? And then uh, he's like, well, if you won't join me, then I'm gonna suck your brains dry, scanner style. <laughs> Which, and as you are, I know you are a Starship Troopers fan, Paul. Mm-hmm. You're, he does that line again when he picks the guy's head up. And he's like, "Brain's been sucked dry." That's a callback to scanners. Okay, I didn't realize. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so it's, it's it's like it doesn't make any sense because they've been trying to kill him the entire time. <laughs> you can't just say, "Well, the reason you aren't dead is because we were only faking like we were trying to kill you." <laughs> no, they've been trying to kill the guy. And do they really need to be the children of Dr. Ruth, literally? They already were because he was the yes. scientist behind Yeah, that's ephemeral. one step too far, actually. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like one step too far, and then there's a confrontation between them. And it, and also, like, in that confrontation, Michael Ironside is clearly overpowering him. And the idea that somehow he just, like, transferred consciousnesses mm-hmm. at the very last second... It's we, like we dude. won, Kim. We won. Yeah, yeah. And the scar is missing, and the um, you know, uh, his eyes have changed colors. But it's like, 
I, I just don't buy the ending. So maybe it's less than half. Maybe it's the last third. Yep. It just, to me, the movie falls apart, and I don't know why. And I've never been able to just completely get through it. It's not a horrible film. I don't no. hate the movie at all. It's just like, it's it's almost frustrating because I have these movies in my life, Paul, and maybe you're, you're, you're built different than me, so you're kind of not like this, but may, maybe you have something like this, where you want to love it, a film. Yeah, like, occasionally I'll fall into that category. Yep. You're like, man, I like this, or it's okay, but God, there's some, there's stuff here that I know if it was just rearranged a little bit, it, you'd be speaking my language. Like I would be mm-hmm. in love with this movie. Yep. This is one of those things, and I just always walk away fucking frustrated and kind of with a migraine after watching this no movie. Pun, this no movie gives me a headache. Yeah, <laughs> I, it really I, does give time, me a headache. I saw this. I watched the film when I was way too young. Probably watched it when I was twelve or thirteen. Didn't really get it. Yeah. Didn't really stand out in my mind. Obviously, I remember the head explosion scene. Obviously, I remember yeah. the awesome poster, which doesn't really make any sense because it doesn't really happen that way in the no. in the film where it looks like he's, he's yeah. burning up from the inside, Michael Ironside, yeah. and using his powers. But re-watching it for this, halfway through, I'm like, damn, this film is brilliant. This is really yes. good. Yes, It's yes. nailing, uh, other than the lead actor, which by that point in time, yeah. like, he's not going to change his acting style. He's not coming out of any fugue state. He is yeah. just shit. I'm yeah. like, okay, I could probably get past that, but by the end, I'm like, ah, nah, it's fallen down my rankings. It's good. I'm, I'm really pleased I watched it again. Thank you for giving it as part of this Cronenberg retrospective. I'm not unhappy yeah. with my time with it, but yeah, it doesn't quite get there for all the reasons we described. And I think the reasons it's it's likable and not lovable is all the things that you've said and, and I've sort of ticked up on. It doesn't quite nail the landing at all, and it's got a really terrible lead that should never have got past the first walk in the room to read for the role. Now, have you seen any of the uh, many sequels and offshoots like Scanner Cop? No, I didn't even realize they were meant to be offshoots. Los Angeles. How's it going, Kim? Without warning. Without mercy. They're killing cops. My men are dying out there. And only one man can stop it. With your help, we might be able to save their lives. Meet the future of law enforcement. He has the most terrifying power ever created. What the hell happened back there? What I saw wasn't normal. He's a scanner. Oh, you've never seen Scanner Cop or no. Scanner Cop 2? No. I don't think he owned the rights to this, basically. He wrote it. It was like, you can, who, whatever fucking, whoever had this. And so they just started making direct-to-video 80s sequels to this. And uh, it seems to me that maybe for Patreon, we'll have to watch a Scanner Cop together. Paul, what do you think? Uh, yeah, okay. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Looking for even more unique and creative movie content? Become a patron. Choose between three levels, and you'll get benefits like a personalized membership card, exclusive shows, early instant reactions to new releases, episode voting power, live streams, and more. Join today. Patreon.com slash movies. Okay, there was supposed to be a reboot of this film, and this is one of those things where I'm like, as I was watching it, I was like, the right director could reboot this and I think actually improve upon it. Who would you say is the right director? I have no fucking clue. Hmm. But uh, uh, apparently there was, somebody did present Cronenberg with a reboot option. I think the rights, eventually he bought them back or they reverted back to him, and he would not give his blessing. Yeah. And he was like, no, nah, nah, I can't that remake shit. this movie. Yeah. 
Um, if you if there were to get a modern update, what would it be? Because I don't know that he could do pharmaceuticals. I don't know that he could just be. I don't even know what Revic did. He even have a job? I don't know. Did the other guy? The other guy was a homeless guy. Mm-hmm. Would it be Scanner Door Dasher, Scanner Cam Girl? Like <laughs> what? Like Scanner Only Fans? Like what would the modern version be? I don't know. Uh, how about Scanner uh, Scanner Podcaster? <laughs> yeah, Scanner Tele Evangelist, Scanner Influencer, <laughs> Scanner Influencer. There you scanner, go. Scanner Influencer. Yep. Oh, actually, there might actually be a little something there, right? So you can control the minds of your audience. Yep. And you had now, because now a scanner would have the bandwidth of the internet. Yep. Holy shit, Paul, you're a fucking genius. <laughs> Thank you. I'll That's that why much. I love you. Uh, I think well, here's what we do. I think we should do. I think we should do a cop episode, but it should be filled with nothing but scanner cops, maniac cops. Like, because there was that straight-to-video run where it was just like blank cops, <laughs> blank cop, wolf cop. You know what I mean? Yeah, wolf cop. But yeah, not that. That's like <laughs> I'm talking about the real stuff. That that's kind of parody. Yes. Okay. I think we got to go back to it. I need to bring it back because I, you've now been on at least two episodes in a row of good movies, and that's oh. gonna stop. <laughs> well, hang on. Don't we have our horror lineup coming? We do. Yeah. So but those are good movies, aren't they, Paul? Well, depends if you like those kinds of films. The exploding head, of course, is classic. The advent of bladder effects in the night era in the eighties led to all kinds of grotesqueries, of which this movie is oh, yeah. filled with a plenty. There, I, I, this was a great era. Late seventies, early eighties was a great era for corporate espionage, yes, like paranoid thrillers, which is what this movie is. And I, I, when those are done good, I like those. Um, I, my my summary of it because of pacing, performance, dialogue. Um, is it's an okay movie that should have been great. And in the world of David Cronenberg, if comedy is vomiting slugs on an elderly woman, a happy ending is having your veins melted by your brother and transferring your consciousness into him before you... We won! Force him to spontaneously combust. (laughs) That's the happy ending. Yep. Everybody is dead, and you you have swapped consciousness with your spontaneously combusted evil brother. No, but you've also possibly got the girl. So, hooray. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I give this one a 7.9 out of 10, and it is my number three for the week. It, it started off a lot higher and just found itself in the middle. How about you, Paul? Yeah, look, interesting. I think once we, again, we established that unless it's something like Basic Instinct, we, you mark much easier than I do. Uh, I'm going with 6.7 out of 10. It is also my third best film of the week. So Ooh. Okay, yes. Basic instinct of shit to listen to Paul. <laughs> Vagi- vaginas aside, no matter whose they are. Jason could be more there. wrong on the wrongest day of his <laughs> wrong, wrong life. <laughs> Paul only likes that movie because he was a teenage boy and he got to see Sharon Stone at arguably her peak show her vagina in a public Inarguably. Movie Nah, I think her peak was Total Recall. Total Recall is pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, moving along. Speaking of sleaze, it's time. You think we're sleazy? Wait for this film. <laughs> it's 1983's Videodrome, 
which currently has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome, starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Film, of course, written and directed by David Cronenberg. It was released February 4th, just in time for Valentine's Day, folks. 1983. <laughs> you imagine a date night at Videodrome Jeez. on a budget of $5.9 million. It only made $2.1 million at the worldwide box office. UHF station producer buys more than his body bargained for, thanks to a snuff transmission from hell. Softborn producer gets hard for high-level tech of the 1983 variety. <laughs> In this time frame, there was a legitimate, at least United States, because I always have to put a caveat on it, because we have a worldwide audience, and I've got a worldwide podcaster sitting right across from me. There was this underlying fear of TV consumption and content consumption as cable access grew across America. Americans were now starting to spend record amount of time in front of television, and there was all of this pearl clutching of what is this going to do to us as a society? Uh-huh. And because it was cable, because it was cable, uh, the TV had less restriction on it than ever before. So a lot of the over-the-air uh, 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 network standards and practices didn't apply on basic cable and certainly not on paid cable like HBO and so forth. And so now all of a sudden there's more sex and violence on TV basically. And I think this movie is, it's, it is shivers 2.0 mixed with that, that fear that is in scanners but rather than it being pharmaceuticals, which was also a thing back then, and it's obviously still is today, mm. just see the amount of people who don't trust vaccines, um, rather than pharmaceuticals, it was television. And so I think he's re- regurgitating, uh, but I don't mean that even in a pejorative way. He's refining his ideas that we've already seen from him, even on this binge. And when Dr. Brian Oblivion says, <laughs> soon, all of us will have TV names. He was right. It's just they weren't TV names. They were handles for social media. Or even before that, chat rooms. They were internet names, email yep. addresses. And so the movie is prescient in a lot of ways. It just assumed, of course, it was all going to be in a, the VHS era. But I think the movie is actually much more prescient about the internet than mm-hmm. it was about television. I think it's one iteration too soon. I think this film is a really good blend of what makes David Cronenberg work. Yeah. It is, yes, it goes down these body horror lines and it gets really weird and out there, but it's contextually makes sense in what the film presents to you. So it's not just weirdness for weirdness sake. It's, yes. It all makes right. sense within the course of this film. 
and the, the central mystery, which eventually gets revealed in the way you just described, that it is all about, you know, TV signals are going to take us all over and, and all the rest of that. Yeah. That works really well as well. And unlike Stephen fucking Lack, it has James Wood, who, you know, political leanings aside, is a yeah, good actor. Right. And he does really Especially well at this in this time role. In his life. Yeah. Yes. He's really giving and it his all. He's convincing. He is a sleaze he's merchant. He's convincingly sleazy. He's a sleaze merchant and he taps his, yes. his hot blonde secretary on the ass as he walks past her because this is 1983 and that shit passed yep. and flew. Yep. And, you know, he hits live on Deborah Harry on air because she's wearing a hot dress and she's Deborah Harry. And that's also okay, but so is smoking yep. live on air. Yep. I, all that stuff is, yeah, you just have to go that age well and sort of move past it. But the central narrative of this guy getting caught up in something that's much bigger than him, this conspiracy that's out there, him uncovering it and going through these really unsettling, really disturbing visions and the sexual sadism and violence that's in there that he clearly there's a part of him is a little attracted to and of course. He's so sleazy and he doesn't really know what to do with it and he thinks his audience will really get off on it. I think all this blends together in this really interesting and engaging kind of way. And this film, I think it holds up. I think it holds up much better than I was anticipating. Another Criterion Collection so, film, by the way. Yeah, I, so you've I seen it before? I did watch it again when I was way too young and thought too weird. Yeah. I vaguely remember probably not even staying in the room to watch it. It was just maybe uncomfortable. Could probably watch it as a teenager. Yeah. It's like, oh, what am I yeah. doing here? If someone sees me watching this, I'm in trouble. But re-watching it here- now, I was like, wow, this, this thing hangs together so much better and is so interesting from really, once I worked out he was what he, what he was, in, I wasn't sure if he was a porn producer or what he was until he runs a soft porn cable network. Once I had that down, this film flies for me. Our present context is we live in a world where we have instantaneous, unfettered, free access to beyond hardcore pornography. Correct. So it doesn't seem when there's Pornhub and SpankTube and RedTube and Jizzmaster and whatever the fuck else, it doesn't seem all that scandalous that he's like showing people's nipples on TV or people being spanked or something is going to be so. But the idea here is that he runs basically a very localized UHF, think weird owl TV station. <laughs> and out you? of. Yeah, but you know, same weird kind of thing. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing of a UHF station, which was not traditional broadcast. It was on a different frequency than traditional broadcast TV in the states. And I don't. Did you guys even have UHF? Mm, I don't know. To tell you the yeah. truth, I, you I had you so. had to switch your TV over to UHF to get those channels. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I don't think there was anything on there from from memory. I could be wrong. Sorry, other yeah. elder bitch lords from Australian era past. Yeah. So the idea is like he's just like this, he's the lowest of the low in the television business. And he's trying to find anything he can to attract his, he's attracted an audience of like freaks, basically. <laughs> and he's just trying to find anything he can to keep their appetite yep. wetted. Keep them titillated. Yep. To keep them titillated. But you're right. He is also seduced by these things. If not for lust, if not sexually, for just greed. Mm and control and he likes having control over those people because he looks down on his audience yep. he looks down at the people that produce this content he looks down at his everything he even himself he's like he, he's a sleazy guy who it's like he he's revels in his sleaziness and also hates his sleaziness and and it's his sleaziness is an undo he's, he's sleazy in every 
way. He's sleazy with money and women, everything. Like everything. Yeah, and then he's, sed- he's seduced to an even darker side by, yes. I guess, Deborah Harry in that time was the epitome of, of sexiness and whatever. And she's yes. interested, but she's you know a hardcore masochist. And so she wants to be whipped and she wants to burn herself with cigarettes. And will you do this to me? And and She's he's- a radio therapist, which was definitely a trend in the States at that time. Yeah, and the yeah, radio okay. station she works for Fraser is called Cram. Cram. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Fraser's kind of a, a based off of. Yeah, and without even saying it, what part of what he's getting at is her radio station is called Cram, <laughs> and C R A M Cram. You know, and they don't even ever say Cram. They're like, you're listening to C R A M. It's all it is is supposed to be a talk therapy radio station. Those existed. Wow. And and. TV talk shows in the United States were very much sort of like this. And the whole point was to get people on and in a not very non-therapeutic environment, <laughs> have them have these extremely deep catharses on air for mm. public consumption. And so there's something as equally sleazy yeah. about sort of pushing people into these emotional breakthroughs and then being like, Okay, and then not having to be there for the cleanup, not having to be That's there right. for the fallout, the actual yep. therapy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you have somebody sobbing on the phone and like, thanks, caller, and like, next, you know, and there's just millions of people listening to it. And then, yeah, it's the irony of the therapist is the masochist, mm-hmm. the, the person who's supposed to be bringing healing to the airwaves. Uh, is the person who's like letting strangers cut her throat as a fetish and burn her with cigarettes and just weird shit. And yeah. the miracle of this movie, if you can call it that, or maybe like Jordan Peele would say, the bad miracle of this movie is the movie feels pornographic in a way that porn used to feel like. That taboo, that there's a, like a there's like a ooh, there's a mm-hmm. brown paper bagness to it all. There's a ugh, you gotta go you gotta go to a weird place and a weird part of town and a weird bookstore to get that stuff. That movie captures the spirit of that, and there's not that much nudity in it. No, surprisingly, not that much overt. The 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 most pornographic thing. Other than James Wood's fucking chest vagina, gaping <laughs> chest vagina, pulsating chest vagina, is the fucking pulsating TV. And somehow yep. he sexualizes the TV in a way that feels pornographic. And it's like this. I'm, I'm with. This is the movie where it's like, okay, this guy's ideas and his art house tendencies and his proclivities, or at least what he thinks our proclivities are. You know, <laughs> either way, are all kind of coming together, right? That's what I was like, saying. Yeah, this is the perfect yeah. blend. I think of what Cronenberg wants to do versus yeah, what I guess people might appreciate is the wrong word, but 
he kind of hits the right note because he is being judgmental. He is saying this is this is gross yes. and negative, and yeah. you know, there is this whole—I can't think of a better word—than judgment over all the proceedings yeah. in this movie. Oh, he's yeah. not—he's not saying this is okay. Whereas it felt like Shivers only eight short years before. Hey, you know, hey, we all should be doing this. This has a different. <laughs> yeah. This has a real different yeah, vibe right. to it, and I think that's what makes part of what makes it a much better film. It's it's what he's basically getting at is. All media is pornographic in the truest sense of the term. Not sexually pornographic, but it's emotionally pornographic. Mm. It's mm-hmm. mentally pornographic. All all media is this sort of debased, stripping, faux intimacy. It's just all about getting off. Listeners get off hearing people talk about being molested as a kid on a radio. You're getting off on that. And you're right. There is a tone of judgment mm. where Cronenberg is like, hey, you listen to that talk radio. You're, you're just as sick as, as, as Nikki is. You're just as sick as Nikki Brand. Of course, the fetishist is a brand, mm. Nikki Brand. But mm-hmm. you're just as sick as her. You're just as sick as James Woods. And also, I'm, sho- I'm shoveling out all this sick shit in this movie. And, and you don't want to look, but you're looking. You know, and it's like you feel you feel like he's judging you. Yeah. He's definitely judging society. He's definitely judging cable television. He's judging radio. And he's like, it's all perverse. It's all sick. And it's all um, you know, your fears of being corrupted by it uh are well founded. We're all being corrupted by the media. And we're all being warped as human beings. And a lesser movie, a dumber movie, movies that you and I have sat through, especially <laughs> in the horror genre for this show would have said, oh, it's all hallucination. You know, this is all in James Wood's minds. It's all, it's all a hallucination. This movie not only doubles down on, well, it is a hallucination, but, but it's a hallucination that actually transforms your body. <laughs> which is and you're going to grow new organs. Yep. Your hallucinations are going to grow new organs in your body, including a vagina, which doubles as a VCR. <laughs> And that's that's crazy, right? It's crazy. Right. We can sit here and talk about it, and in my mind, all this stuff holds up. It's it's all intriguing yeah. and interesting. And this is again, I mean, I'm going to say it probably a couple more times before we finish this little mini review. But I think this is Pete Cronenberg. I think this is where it all comes together. How perfect is Debbie Harry in this role? I'm. Even my age, Jason, I'm too yes. young to have really understood the attraction to Deborah Harry. I don't look at her. I didn't look at her when I was 15, circa 1990, 1991, and go, yeah. she's hot. But in this film, yes. I think she's, she's presented as the absolute, this is the woman that everyone would fall over themselves for if they were attracted to and who's And who's dangerous. Yes. And was this her first film role? I think I think it might be yes. What a brave decision! You know, you're you're. There's a- something about this woman that is undoubtedly attractive. Here's what it is: it's not attraction; it's seduction. Yep, yep. She is a seducing presence just by being in the room, because she is the only person in this film at the very beginning when they're doing the the three way interview on the set of the talk show. She's the only one who actually disavows the whole thing. And she's like, to me, it's all overstimulation. We're overstimulated people in overstimulated times. And then he calls her out about the red dress. And she's like, well, I'm no different than anybody else. 
but she's the only one who actually recognizes that, oh no, this, there's something wrong with all of this. And the, and as sick as, you know, as, as um, sick is probably not the right word, as her kinks lead her into putting herself in personal danger. Mm-hmm. Again, a lesser movie would be like, oh, well, she never existed. She was a figment of his imagination or she was part of the control from this radicalized group that uh, behind Videodrome. And blah, blah. it's like, no, she was a real person and they killed her. She's dead. Yep. By the time you, by, well, by the time we get further down the rabbit hole, it's like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. You know, all these images you've been seeing of her, it's not her. She's, she, they killed her as soon as she went to Pittsburgh. She's been dead. And you're like, holy shit. It's yeah, Brian really Oblivion, dead. dead. The only part of the part of him that exists anymore is tens of thousands of videotapes. That's it. Which is also an you interesting know. idea too that the film plays. Yes, well, it is. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the way it ends, where it's like it ends essentially with his own suicide mm-hmm. because the TV commits suicide, which is him and long live the new flesh. Death to Videodrome. He blows flesh. his brains out. There's a word. Yeah, flesh. He gets reprogrammed by the. We took one tape out. We put another. The handgun, which is literally a handgun. Yep. Like it's just, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't make any sense. It barely makes any sense. The the, the impression this movie gives to you is, this world is a shithole. <laughs> the world is a shithole, and just undulating, throbbing VHS tapes and TVs and sexual temptation and masochism and perversion. And it's great. It's a 7.95 out of 10. It's my number two for the week. Ooh, okay. Well, almost my number one. I have one question. One question for you. And I, my assumption in watching this film or my interpretation, that's all it is, not assumptions. Interpretation is that all the crazy shit the undulating TV, the you know, the expanding TV, the the vagina in his chest from which he pull, gets tapes put in and he pulls guns out of and all that kind of stuff. That's all the signal into his brain. And yeah, you know, it's the signal that's coming out of Videodrome that's programming to kill people and do yeah, what right. they're yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe I'm being too realistic in that. Maybe that shit really is actually happening. He really does have the bolts from the gun into his hand and he can't get rid of it. But I just interpreted that as as being the signal making him do these things. Is that wildly off the mark? I, th- I think it's partially correct, but I think the movie is making the case that they're with the Brian Oblivion character that they're with, when it comes to Videodrome and this new signal that they've created, there is no difference. Okay. That yes, it's a signal, but it, it but because T because TV is becoming more real than reality to us. Mm hmm. TV is overriding reality. Yeah, that is that is the message. Yep, yeah. spot on. I think the film's really good. It's easy. Well, not easily. It is my number one film of the wow. week. It is my recommendation for the vault, and I gave oh. it. That. <laughs> I, gave, I know that's going to piss off a whole bunch of people with what's coming next, but uh, I gave it yes. a seven point five out of ten. It just missed the mark uh, because uh, of our, of course, our next film. Yeah, uh, there's no point in burying the lead. Uh, it is, of course, I'm talking about 1986's The Fly, which currently has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. When a brilliant invention goes horribly wrong. You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. All she can do is watch. Don't go back to him. I have to go back to him. 
as he becomes the fly. Help me. Please help me. Rated R. Starts tomorrow at theaters everywhere. The Fly was directed by David Cronenberg. It's a screenplay by Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg. Uh, is based on The Fly by George Langelin. It was released August 15th, 1986. On a budget of somewhere between 9 and $15 million, it made $60.6 million. By far his biggest hit. And most. This is his most beloved movie. Yep. This was the crossover mainstream film. Shut-in scientist scrambles his molecules and splices his genes thanks to a teleportation test with tragic results. The endearing love story of a woman having to choose between a monster and a guy who turns into a fly. Ooh. That, okay, we're going to come back to that because mm-hmm. you might have just, you might have just answered one of my questions. This movie won the Academy Award for Best Makeup, which is the only nomination and win Cronenberg has ever gotten. Really? For That's Academy interesting. Award. Yes, okay. correct. Yep. Goldblum, okay. Goldblum is the first attractive man to ever appear in a David Cronenberg film. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, James, James Woods is, wasn't a bad-looking fellow, was he? James, James Woods... Even if he was decent looking, just dripped so much sleeve. <laughs> sure. And it's just like, there's just, it's just a massive turnoff. Jeff Goldblum is a pretty man. And he was pretty at this time in his he, life. He was not just handsome, dude. he was pretty. I think he's a weird looking dude who is so charming, the charm overcomes the weirdness. No, I think he's. I think he is distinct looking, but I think he is highly, highly physically attractive. Well, clearly, the, I think the, this was, the world agrees with you. So, <laughs> and I think that this is him, maybe at his most attractive. Mm, Jurassic Park. And, yeah, probably Jurassic Park. But Jeff Goldblum at his prettiest. Cronenberg finally gets a pretty male lead, and this is what he does to him. <laughs> <laughs> This is what he does to him. And there's something... Listen, Paul, I'm not just being silly. There's something to that. He has casted uggos in everything else (laughs) that he's made up to this point. The first one that's about the absolute... The the genes of a human being being torn asunder by by the genetic code of a housefly... And mutated into one of the most horrific Stan Winston creations ever. He's like, give me a pretty male lead. Give me Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, Again, it's all about the flesh with him. Maybe Cronenberg's a bit insecure in his own skin. Is that what you're saying? In his own skin? He wants to rip his own skin off? I don't know. <laughs> There's a little thing here that's a little too obvious, which is technology and flesh. And at the very beginning, the chip that gets stuck in his back, which ends up becoming the spot where the fly hairs come out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, ooh, you got something in your back. He's like, ooh, what is it? What is it? And she pulls out like a microchip. Yeah. He's really it's casual like, so about very, that. Very casual. Ooh, yeah. Very, ow. Yeah. Very obviously, there's going to be a technological mishap, which is going to take his perfect form and make it imperfect. Um, I'm going to say this. I think Seth is the only sympathetic character in the binge of the movies we've watched by the time this movie ends, you feel sympathy for him. I don't feel sympathy for James Woods. when He blows his own brains out. I don't feel sympathy no. for no, that felt anybody else. Yeah. Uh, obviously I can't remember uh, Ronnie. I also feel bad for Ronnie in this movie. She goes through the ringer. Okay. 
You mentioned it. Let's talk about it. Stathis Baratheon, oh, or whatever geez. his name is. Stathis Boren, or whatever his name is. Baratheon's uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. But Stathis. I just said Stathis, yep. Yeah. Bara- Boren. Entirely w- yeah. Is a entirely one-note character. Mm-hmm. He is he's a the, stalker. He is a complete and utter psychopath who will he's not a let psychopath. go. Yeah. But the movie doesn't seem to provide any commentary on his behavior. And then when the shit hits the fan, she goes back to him. Yep. And he's also almost presented at the end of the film as the, as the hero, hero. Which is why this film fell away from one to two for me. I could not get behind this message. He says something at one point where he's like, where she's like, she, tell, she tells him that he's like, got the fly <laughs> problem. And he's like, well, you got to stay away from there. It could be contagious. And she's like, I've already been over there. I've already like, mm-hmm. whatever. And he's like, well, you might have a disease. And he's, well, he goes, well, if it's true and you die, can I claim the body? Yep. And it's like, you want to fuck her corpse? Is that what we're getting at? You're so obsessed with this woman, you want to fuck her corpse. Early in the film, she comes home, and he's just let herself back into her. Obviously, they they were a thing. They had a relationship. It ended. He hasn't let go of this. He still wants her. He lets himself into not just his ex-girlfriend's apartment, but his employee's apartment, and is having a shower there, and says, hey, how about it? And she's like, fuck off. Get out of my house. Give me my key back. And that's about as negative towards him as she gets, and the film gets. What should this movie have been? What do you think the movie's attitude towards him should have been? And why do you think he's in the movie? Because you said something in your your synopsis about it has to choose between a monster and a man who becomes a fly. Yeah. And it's like it's like a weird Does this does this movie need a love triangle? No. I don't think it does. I, I think it's a very strange decision. He he should have been, his character should have been the rational observer on the outside. She's fallen in love just with Just her Seth. boss. Just her yes, boss. Just her boss. Her editor. A good, yeah. a good bloke who, yeah. or a decent boss who's concerned yeah. about his employee and keeps yeah. saying things like, don't go back there. He, he, you could get infected. Oh, I've already been back there. All right. Well, then maybe you need to go into isolation or whatever. Maybe I'm just too 2022 yeah, yeah. about that. But no, right? But yeah, right. That And then- concerned enough about her in whatever way shape or form that when she gets taken at the end he does go to rescue her or help and gets killed in the process that would have been a good arc for that character it would have added to the pathos of that final scene but yet for some strange reason and other than to drive seth into the teleport pod because he thinks she's gone back to be with her ex in that's that emotional, it, right? That's the only point his character serves, and we yeah. could have written around that better. Yes. They just have to find a reason to get this super rational, super intellectual scientist to do something irrational so he has to get upset mm-hmm. and get drunk and get in there so he's not observant and that... You know, the fly gets in there in that costume. It has to be the inciting incident, yep. basically. But I'm There's sure no other reason better. they could have come up with something better. He could have got upset with her and drunk about something else, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, or just write something better because there doesn't seem to be any point to the character. And they are, you know, the original, any of this movie, I don't know if you know this, but they were supposed to end up together. 
They well, shot he, it. They shot he it. Multi- gets her, he gets her into the pod, and they and they. No. Do you mean that way, or do you mean they end up? They as killed in- Jeff Goldblum. They they killed Jeff Goldblum. Oh, right? st- oh he was it, meant to end up with Stathis. Stathis. Oh the last God. scene was supposed to be, she's laying in bed with Stathis. They filmed this. I've seen it, and she's pregnant. Yeah, and we, it clearly we, is real because his hand is missing. He has a prosthetic hand that he's sleeping with. And she has this butterfly baby. She has a dream about a baby that has butterfly wings oh and gosh. flies off. And the idea is supposed to be that maybe she is pregnant, but it's not. She is pregnant, but maybe it's not a monster. Maybe that's it's something beautiful that's been created inside of her. And it was supposed to end on kind of a more of an upbeat note, which doesn't feel true to David Cronenberg at all. They filmed it multiple ways. They filmed it with her clearly pregnant, clearly not pregnant, with him in bed with her, with him not in bed with her. And basically, it just none of it worked. And the audience rejected all of it yep. because they hated that character so yep. much. They couldn't stand the idea that she would end up with him. And Ronnie, who by all accounts is presented as a fairly strong female character, for the most part, I can't imagine she'd go back with him. No. It doesn't work. And even if she did, it'd just be purely based out of trauma. It doesn't work, but it doesn't even work to have him. He he had if he was going to come back at that point, and he you know, he loses his arm and whatever else, fine. But he did, he has to die at the very least for being yes. the cretin the cretin that he is. At the very least, yeah. he's going to die as well. And she's the one that emerges, not unscathed, obviously, highly traumatized and whatever else. But it's madness, I, and that's that. I cannot get past this failing on the half of the script is, and also. Yes. The first half of this film is very slow. Almost nothing happens in the first half of this movie other than setting things up. The second half is brilliant. The effects... I... uh, Yeah. I honestly... I I find myself liking the first half better because I have such an affinity for Seth that I find from the moment shit... The moment he gets in the pod, I I, I find it disturbing to the point of... I like okay. this character so much. I don't okay. want to see him, his genetic undoing, his cosmic undoing. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, I want to say it's bad. I'm just saying, oh God, the dread just immediately starts building inside of me okay. because of so it. So it affected you that way. I watched this with my wife, or at least the first half of this with my wife, and she got up yeah. and said, I'm bored. I'm going to bed. Wow. Did not grab her at all. And I had to agree with her. I'm like, this is, it's a very short film. And thank you, by the way. A, David Cronenberg, and B, Jason from Binge Movies for picking a whole bunch of films that aren't over two hours to watch. I think the longest of which is the one film we haven't talked about yet. But this is yeah. a really tight, what, 95 minutes? Yep. It's the first half, I said slow. And it kind of, I was, I was also, we were getting in conversations with my wife and I was finding it hard to sort of pay attention. I've seen it before, obviously, so. Fucking bullshit! The second yeah, half, sure. it really does take off for me, except for this fucking Stathis character. And I just, okay. my notes are, are resplendent with time and again. The film says this is okay. The film says Stathis' behavior here is okay. Yep. This is how you treat yep. women. Yeah. There's an easy solution to both of these problems. Did this occur to you as it occurred to me? Please. When Seth realizes he's already mid-transformation and he's like, he's you know, type it on the keyboard with the pens and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he's like asking the computer, like, what's the solution here? Right. And the solution is you basically have to unsplice yourself with the fly. So you have to add more human DNA. Mm-hmm. That's what the computer tells him to basically 
un, yeah, just the best way to put it is unsplice yourself. Splice yourself with another human to unsplice yourself with this fucking yeah. fly. Limit, limit it, the it, amount it, of fly in you. Yes, right. And then you might be okay, right? And so he's like, okay. And that's and then when by the time he gets to it, the fly mind and all this sort of stuff, then it's like this idea of like, we'll be the world's closest nuclear family yeah. or whatever. <laughs> that was a good line. And, uh, yeah. And it's like, because that's one of the things he warns her about. He's like, I'm going to stop thinking like a man. I'm going to start thinking like an insect that just takes things and just, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. And he's like, I don't want you to come around me. And even before his whole face fucking falls off, he's starting to already think that way, right? It was like, I just want you and I'm going to consume you and we're going to be one and I get to live and blah, 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 blah. Um, there's an easier way to do it, which is he puts Stathis in the splicer. Yep. The telepod. And he transfers with Stathis and they put the splice the fly segments into Stathis. So you get rid of the Cretan, sex offending, me too, harassing, mm-hmm. stalker, bastard boyfriend. And you save your sympathetic character who, this is all an accident, and you limit the fly stuff as much as possible. Uh, maybe even it seems like he's miraculously cured. You could have a coda of maybe something isn't quite right. Pregnant belly, something moves, still ends on a kind of spooky note. Walks uh, up the wall. I, yeah, I'm not saying something's. I'm not saying that's better than this. I'm just saying according to the internal logic of the movie, there's a simple, actual, more simple solution than him killing Ronnie. It's just kill the guy nobody likes. Yeah. Let him let him be the guinea pig and put the fly shit in him and go live your life, right? Agreed. I also think that had they gone that route, this film wouldn't be the classic that it's considered to be. No, because the, you're exactly right because the absolute downer ending of him getting mixed with the telepod falling out of the telepod a full fly creature yep and then just begging for her to kill him Mm non-verbally and her having to be the one to blow his head off very graphically is so mean-spirited and so dark and so grim that it seals the deal in the movie. It yep. just you're going to walk out going, "Okay, that movie fucking affected me and marked me and god, even if you're not like moved by the death, you're going to be impacted by it." Well, it's certainly memorable. It certainly sticks yeah. with you. And again, as you've already praised Dan Winston and whoever else the other person was that worked on these effects, just Chris Wallace, I think, designed the creatures uh, in Gremlins and yeah. worked on it too. Top of the line stuff. Hold this up. Is a- hold up. 80s. Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, it just holds up. Oh, they hold up. Sorry, I think they hold up. I got to add something. Um, yeah. It absolutely holds up. This is why the 80s is the pinnacle for effects work. Because you look Creature at it today yep. and it still works. The thing obviously came several years before this. The fly. Yep. You can go through countless horror Aliens. films from those eras. Aliens. Yeah. Because it wasn't all yep. CG, and it doesn't matter how good the CG is, it's still CG, James Avatar. James Avatar, James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> it still yeah. doesn't you, look and you would, real. And you would think he would know better, man, because he worked with these guys. He, you know, look at, he, he I mean, he's one of the few guys who blended it so perfectly with Terminator 2 
and even Titanic to some extent, and yet he's just been hell bent on just going get rid of every living thing. Yep. And I think that's his proclivity to just want to control everything. Yeah. Yep. But back yeah. to this, I, that's what works in this movie. It is absolutely jaw-droppingly amazing. I, and I'm, I'm having to go, and I've explained myself why it's not my number one, but I get why this film is so beloved. I understand its cult yeah. status. And you're right, it is, it's the casting, it's the fact that Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were actually a couple through this period in their life, and yeah. their chemistry works on screen. They are both very charismatic. It's great having her be this largely... <laughs> You know, powerful woman, except with it comes to status, and she has this fucking huge blind spot, apparently. And it's it's a tragedy, an absolute tragedy. That's really what this film basically is from beginning to end. It's one man's call it intelligence. What's great about Seth is what is undoes him in the end. That he the moment he yeah. loses his rationality, he becomes emotional. It dooms him to a horrible, horrible demise and painful, yeah, death. Yeah, it's oh, it's borderline Shakespearean. Mm. So, what would you give this one out of ten? And uh, obviously, it's not your number one. So, where does it rank for you? My number two, narrowly behind Videodrome. I'm giving this one seven out of ten. Narrowly ahead of Videodrome, it's my number one. I give it an eight out of ten, oh. and I'm adding it to the short list. Yes. Uh, I really, I, I, I know the movie is effective because, again, I find what happens to Seth so hard to get through. And you know, and it's really weird because the older I get through, the harder I find it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Something I've noticed as well that the older you get, and I think also, I know you're not in this particular state at this point, Jason, perhaps in the future, perhaps not. When you have a kid as well, that sort of softens your outlook mm. on, on things as well. And I've Lots of my fellow parenting friends have said the same sort of thing, used to watch things and just yeah. giggle at them. Now it's like, oh boy that's someone's dad or mom or sister or brother yeah you start thinking through the implications Mm. yeah yeah all right well we're getting soft in our old age and uh, the internet's (laughs) making fun of us now so let's get back to david cronenberg who no matter how old he gets he just gets harder and harder if you know what i mean and uh, there's no movie more fitting for david cronenberg's hard on than a movie that sounds like a dick pill i'm talking about (laughs) 1999's existence which currently has a 73 percent on rotten tomatoes In the not-too-distant future, Allegra Geller has created the ultimate escape. The possibilities are so great. This is amazing. A parallel universe called Existence. Now I'm warning you. It's going to be a wild ride. But someone wants it stopped at all costs. You're worth a lot of money if you're dead. This film was written and directed by David Cronenberg. It was released April 23rd, 1999 in North America. Nobody fucking saw it in theaters. It was released April 30th, 1999 in the UK. Nobody saw it in theaters there either. (laughs) On a budget of $15 million, this son of a bitch made $2.9 million. Wow. Jeez, I I paid some of that money. I saw this in the cinemas. (sighs) You're a fucking fool, Paul. (laughs) The (laughs) lie... 
The line between the mind and the matter blurs when the next-gen console is you. For me, Cronenberg loses his edge in this meant-to-be-satirical commentary on gaming culture. Who knows? He says the inspiration for this was his friendship with Salman Rushdie and the fatwa that was put on Salman Rushdie and the right. idea that death could to the author... Yeah, death to the demoness. Okay. I know Cronenberg, I told you this, like his dialogue is like, other than, probably because there's another writer on it, The Fly, even in his better movies, the dialogue is odd at times and Mm -hmm. very stilted and there's weird monologues and shit. This movie is all of those things cranked up to 11. When they start screaming out, I mean, the names in this are bizarre. Everything about it is bizarre. The video game console is a clit. Uh, right, that's a clitoris, isn't yeah. it? And you're rubbing it in a certain way to make it yeah, do what you, you want it. To. Yeah, you're. Yeah, <laughs> it's like at this point, there's, there's, this is even a metaphor anymore. You rub the clit to get it to do what you want it to do mm-hmm. to control the pleasure. And there's like an umbicord, and it, it's phallic, and it ports into you, so your neck oh, becomes yeah. a vagina, and just all this sort of shit. And it's all just everything's gooey and slimy and guns are made of bones and frog testes and teeth, bullets, and so fucking weird. And but the dialogue and the and the performances by Jude Law, Jennifer Jason Lee, Willem Dafoe, and the list goes on, folks. This cast is stacked. It is, with lots of little one sort of scene or two scene roles. Yeah, it's bizarre when Jennifer Jason Lee is screaming, Death to you have getting Norish. <laughs> It is bizarre. And when uh, Jude Law has a line delivery that I will never forget, it's at the end when they're in the church, and he's like, death! It's the, his neck just flares out, and his teeth, just like his bottom jaw just juts out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, death to existence! It's like, that was clearly the note given to them. Because all throughout the movie, they just become like, they just go to this, this radicalized state or different characters do and just scream these absurd names and in the most bizarre way you possibly could. And it's like, honestly, this movie, I'm just gonna put it like this. Paul, this movie is so bad at times. It borders on comedy. It borders on camp. It borders on, this is so over the top and so silly that is this his version of a joke? I don't know. I didn't hate this film clearly as much as, as you did. I was into it for the first, I'd say almost half, almost half the film when it's Jennifer Jason Lee's Allegra Geller. She's the game designer. They're at a, a focus group Death or whatever. To the demoness, Allegra Geller. But when she was playing it, and I think for the first half of the film, she is playing it with some warmth and engagement and Jude Law is the clueless kind of oh it's just a security guy here I don't know what the hell's going on that all is okay the further the film goes the worse it gets until like you say by the end by the end it is like what the fuck really this is where we went to there's one great moment in the film which I think is the perfect blend of what Cronenberg should have been aiming for I don't even know if he was because he goes so far off these rails it's almost not worth mentioning but I will anyway as a defense for why it's not my worst film of the week. Very close, but anyway. He says, well, where are we going to get a biopod in the middle of the night? In the middle of country America or whatever. Just like the yes. local corner gas station or whatever. And then yeah, cut to yeah. wide shot of 
gas station, which says local corner gas station or whatever on the wall behind it. And I'm like, yes. at that point, I'm like, well, yeah. clearly they're in a game. And Cronenberg's yes. telling you that even this early in the movie. But I yes. didn't get that when I watched it in 1999 at the cinema and, and parted with my hard-earned money to see this film. My dad, of course, we talked about this before, was a hardcore movie guy. This was on home video in the United States by, this came out, whatever, April. This, was, uh, this came out on home video about six months later uh, in December. And okay. I had a party at my house. So imagine a bunch of 13, 14, 15-year-olds, somewhere around their kids, mm-hmm. from various homes, some of them very sheltered, deeply religious households, some of them. Some of them just, you know, ordinary sane households. But, you know, just a lot of these kids had not seen this sort of shit. I grew up watching. Your parents are more conscious of the things that they show them. Now, imagine my dad putting this movie on <laughs> while he's making us chimichangas. My dad's cooking chimichangas in the kitchen and burritos for That's a group good. of now I'm hungry. teenage boys who are going to eat those burritos and fart up the night. <laughs> and imagine the movie he throws on for us is Existence. Because he's like, well, you guys like The Matrix, right? Which also came oh. out about March or April of 1999. Yeah. I saw The Matrix with my dad, and he was nonplussed about it. He was like, yeah, it's all right. Oh. But this, he was like, this is what The Matrix should have been. Really? <laughs> he throws on, yeah, existence. I, I did not like this movie in 1999. I've graded it a little bit higher here. But, Paul, if it took me two hours to get through this movie, it took me eight and a half. I this movie lost me so many times because at a certain point it's like the the turns and the what's it are we reality? Yep. We're not in reality, we are in reality. My pod's infected. Your 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 port's infected. Your port has an STD. It gonna, gave my pod AIDS. I'm gonna put like, my tongue into my tongue into the hole in your back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just all of the 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 it's the obviousness of this movie. The obviousness of this movie, the obviousness of the fact that this is a, at this point, 50-whatever-year-old man probably writing about something he clearly doesn't understand. And also, it's the obviousness of the fact that where we were in gaming consoles in 1999, and I guess you could say, well, he's so forward-thinking. We were playing on PS1s, the Mm -hmm. original PlayStations, with polygonal characters. (laughs) And you're trying to tell me... That th- that this this is going to do to us what like th- this is video drum for video games right that's yes. what this is yep. and it just feels so redundant especially after watching video drum where he feels yes. so dialed in and even ahead of his time this feels so woefully wrong and I guess if you if if, uh, if you want to apply maybe we just need to wait longer with metaverse and Facebook and all this other shit and we're all gonna live in VR and all this sort of stuff. Maybe we'll eventually get to the point where we look back and go, well, he was right again. But I don't think so. I, I think that this movie is, this movie's corny. Mm. This movie is unintentionally comedic. This movie is tonally inconsistent. It's not exceptionally well directed. If it didn't have the cast that it had, it'd be shit. And that's what my opinion of Existence. Yeah, I can't argue with too much of that. I think it's weird that, at times, I think both Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee in this film are both really good in some scenes, and like you're describing, horrendous in other scenes. It's horrendous. so inconsistent. There are moments in this film where you're expecting a certain reaction from one of the characters, which would be completely in keeping with what their characters have been established to at this point, where it doesn't happen. 
and the one that sticks out in my mind is when Pykel finds Allegra in the game when she's operating on whatever this this uh, pod creation assembly line or whatever she's doing in there. Yeah. And he says something to her and she pauses like a game character as if she's, and he says it again. And I'm like, hang on, but she's meant to be in the game. What are you doing here? Why did she take that moment to load? It's like, again, I know this is my bet pet peeve and your binge lords will know this too, but when the, when the internal consistency in a film just dissipates and fades away and we don't care anymore, I stop caring. Well, he's, well, at a certain point, he's just fucking with you to fuck with you. Yep. Which brings me to my question for you. The most boring question that I could ask. <laughs> but I'm going to ask it. I'd like you to give me an answer at length while I fiddle with my notes here. Uh, <laughs> here's the most boring question I could ask you. At the end of the movie, are they still in the game? Oh, well, yeah. The very short version of that answer would be, does anyone really care? But the long... <laughs> The longer version of it would be, uh, yeah, I don't think Cronenberg wants you to know. I think he wants you to be having this debate and that he want, not the podcast were a thing in 1999, but he wanted people to be walking out of cinema having this discussion between themselves because, wow, once again, I've gotten people's heads and in their flesh uh, with, with my ports and, and everything else. We haven't said flesh enough. <laughs> Within their flesh. Yeah. But the reality right. is you walk away from this going, film. Going, uh, there was one, one of the reveals that, oh, we're in the game, worked for me. One, every other time yes. I was like, uh-huh, you've played this card. How many times right. can you play this same card? Enough already. Is this all you got? Yep. Yeah, that's always been my frustration with it because that's at a certain point, it's like, it's like you're trying, to, you're trying to outsmart your audience for no other purpose than to outsmart them. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, it's like, I'm fucking with your minds. I'm fucking with your minds. And you're just going, eh, not really. Because gaming. also, I'm gaming will fuck with your mind. <laughs> if you keep playing games, this is where you could end up not being able to discern reality from the game world. And as you say, in 1999, that's pretty funny. But he's always been about trying to be predictive of the future, right? That I, yeah. I am one step ahead. Again, maybe shouting out how smart he is and wanting everyone to acknowledge that. Okay, so let, let me ask you a more complicated question. Why does video drum work when it's obviously more dated than existence? If anything, existence is more ahead of the curve uh, because it's taking longer to maybe get to the point of like VR and all this sort of stuff. Why does video drum still feel fresh and relevant and existence uh, feels uh, like a, it's trying too hard? It's written by an old man who doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, that would be part of it that, you know, 16 years on, you've probably as a 56-year-old, I think he was when he made this movie, or 55-year-old, you're not as with it as when you're 39, 38, 39, mm. you're not as... But more than that, I think it's because there's no characterization at all for Allegra and Pykel. That Bingo. Basically, therefore, by the end of this film, we don't... If they are really radicalized, but we, we've had no sense of why they are. Why is Existence so bad? The film doesn't give you any indication right. why the realists would want to shut it down. It's not like it's this great, I don't know, religious uh, fatwa or whatever else. There's no good reason given for any of these characters to behaving the way that they are other than, oh, it's bad to play a game. What? And here's the thing. They have the perfect excuse to just have info dumps and exposition dumps because they're in a game. Yep. And if the game is being, if the game is basically almost like open concept and just sort of takes on the, the strongest themes of 
the subconscious of the group. Which wasn't and all explained this sort of- until the very last scene of the film either. <laughs> right. Yeah, because the whole while you're watching it without knowing it, you're just thinking they just made a game about a guy who's making a game or some mm-hmm. if somebody's making a game. You know, it's like what what who cares? You know? But then that's yeah, explained it's like, oh well, I didn't program any of that. You know, that's just there's there's some deeply troubling anti gaming ideas mm-hmm. in there. And it's like, oh, so then what was the game intended to be? Just it's just responsive to again the most powerful subconsciouses of the group. Cause I can tell you this, I wouldn't want to be hooked up to a and it was funny, is in maybe the real world, it's not a vagina, it's just like actual plastic and yep. it's like an actual machine that they're plugged in. And it's like I certainly wouldn't want to be plugged into like my subconscious linked Elon Musk style with David Cronenberg. Could you imagine being or, in his or a bunch of strangers or strangers? Yeah, you're in a group of right. and, and some of them are relegated as one of them. I think maybe it's Willem Dafoe says, I didn't really like the fact that, or maybe it's Callum Keith Renee, whatever his name is. Yeah. One of them says, I didn't really like the fact that I was relegated to such a small role, but you know, at least I got to play a pivotal role. That was really cool. And I'm like, no, you would, you would be this. You have to be the star of your own game. Who's going to want to yes. sign up to a fucking game where basically, as you say, if someone else's subconscious or or mental capacity is stronger than yours, you get relegated to doing fuck all for the majority of it. It just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's not... Um, again, it's... it's they could have... They, if, 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 if that's the plot of the game and that's the road you're going to go down, you could have done a better job within the the middle of the movie is the easiest way to put it of explaining like, you know, because you have all these parallels, you have the realist or you have these people, you have these factions, these people versus these people and this and this, and they're trying to kill Allegra and this, that, and blah, 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 blah. You could have spent a lot more time building those characters, doing better characterization for our two leads. And then, explaining the rules that when we jump to what is possibly the real world we can make the parallel connections ourselves and go well it's not exactly the same but it's kind of the same but the characters who we thought were this are actually this and it maybe would have felt like more of a subversion or more of like oh gotcha or like a twist and instead the way it just everything just plays out so flatly yeah that yeah, by the time and there's just and, it, and there, there's these ham-fisted twists that by the time that we get another one at the very end it's like like you said who cares yeah i don't know these people and and you've basically dismantled any sense of them being real people at all 50 million times like with her starting and stopping on the assembly line and the other guy on the frog line or the guy at the uh the weird frog restaurant they're at that like just stops and then goes berserk and you know it's like you've done all this weird shit for the sake of being weird that you've dehumanized these characters yes to the point yeah. that I don't care because what, what are our options? Our options are the game is continued. Okay. And we never got, we actually never saw any part of the real world. We've just been this gaming rabbit hole loop. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who gives a shit? The other option is it, it, it's all playing out literally. And at the end, they're, they're terrorists, basically. That's they're anti video yep. game terrorists. Yeah. Uh, who cares? The other option is that do this infection or all these other different forces that pop up without the movie. One or both of them has had a psychotic break, total recall style, mm-hmm. schizoid embolism, and now they're like <laughs> stuck in a weird, fucked up version of one of their subconsciouses or whatever. Again, who cares? Yep. 
If I don't know where the boundaries, you have to have some sense of boundary between what is supposed to matter and what doesn't matter for there to be stakes. And this movie has no boundaries, which is not a fascinating idea. It's a stakeless idea. Therefore, nothing that happens in the movie matters. And whatever ham-fisted commentary, anti-video game commentary, and I'm not even a gamer like you are, that he wants to shove in here, it just goes to pot it just goes who cares you're just doing this to me of all the movies we've watched even more so than shivers obviously this just felt like brother you're just doing weird shit to do weird shit <laughs> the interesting it thing felt about- so unfocused and pointless i hate it yeah i can't argue with anything that i think what got it across the line for me being better than shivers and you know to the the bare mark that it got is the performances of, well, Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee in that first half of the film. I liked their back and forth when I thought this was yeah. the reality of the world. Jennifer Jason Lee was really hot. So was Jude Law at this stage in their, yeah, uh, right. in their lives. So you know, I'm interested. Let's see. Are they going to get together? And of course, it's got the Cronenberg gross out moments. Not as many, but that sort of porting into your back. And here, let me put a hole yeah. in your back. Like I was squirming at that. Okay, the film got me. There's a reaction yeah. here. So it, for me, it's better than Shivers. It's not. A patch on the other three films that we've discussed today so it's comfortably sits at my number four uh, and if there's nothing else i just gave this a, a flat five out of ten well in talking to you and i realized how upset i was about it i just knocked off two more points off of it. <laughs> so i'm gonna give this one a five out of ten as well but it is of course my worst of the week i think this movie is junk i think it's absolute junk um uh, yeah so uh, any closing thoughts on Existence? Only that clearly at this point, I think from here, Cronenberg goes in a different direction with his career. This is the final yes. one of these kind of body horror flesh is the, is the but issue. But he's back, get, baby, because sex well, is the yeah, surgery is around. the new sex. Yeah. <laughs> Not wanting to be outdone by his son in terms of that, was it Possessor? That That's right. From a couple of years Possessor, ago. Possessor, yeah. But we got, yeah, I think, a real... Really good Cronenberg film, not that long after this, History of Violence, which is a film That's it. Yep. I really, really like, and Eastern Promises, both which are good films, yep. and so far away from his normal auteur or oeuvre that uh, yeah, yeah he, he manages to reinvent himself a bit. Yeah. Well, uh, it's time for a recap. Coming at number five, 1999's Existence, which gave a five out of ten. Coming number four is Shivers, 7.5 out of 10. I liked it more than Paul did, <laughs> recognizing all of the problems that it has, but the movie creeped me the fuck out, so I enjoyed it. Coming number three is Scanners. It's a good movie that should have been a great movie, should be an all-timer. Instead, it's just kind of okay with some uh, extremely excellent ideas and moments, 7.9 out of 10. Coming in at number two is Videodrome. Uh, not much more I could say about this one. If you haven't seen it, because I know a lot of people haven't, it's something I bring up on Twitter and some of my other exchanges with people. People are like, oh, I've never even heard of that. Uh, seek it out uh, and mm. and uh, draw the shades. Make sure your neighbors don't see what you're watching, <laughs> and um, maybe don't watch it when your mom's in the house. But maybe open it up in incognito mode on your uh, on Chrome <laughs> and let it play that way. Uh, Videodrome, 7.95. 7.95 new fleshes out of <laughs> 10 Videodromes. Uh, Commit number one is The Fly. It's a bit obvious on my part, but uh, I just watching them back to back, there's 
there's less of a distinction between this and Videodrome than I would have thought in my mind uh, at this reappraisal, but there is a distinction. So I'm going to bump it up uh, just a little bit, and it gets an 8 out of 10. Paul, what's your recap? Coming in at number five, by far the worst film of the week and would be right at home in some of the other episodes that we've done in terms of shitness, Jason. Shivers with 3.2 out of 10. Number four, Existence, 5 out of 10. Just scrapes over the line, I guess. Would I recommend it to people? No. So maybe that should be a 4.8. Scanners, however, I would thoroughly recommend if you can just get past a terrible performance from Stephen. Lack of anything <laughs> revolving around what you need as an actor. 6.7 out of 10. The Fly, somewhat surprisingly for me, 7 out of 10 for me at 9 number 2. Good film, excellent effects work, very problematic in terms of what it presents as far as I'm concerned. And number one, and speaking of problematic in terms of what it presents, but what an idea and what a perfect encapsulation of Cronenberg as a filmmaker through the 20th century, Videodrome, 7.4 out of 10. And that's my shortlisted film for this week. Yeah, so it's going to be, as far as Cronenberg goes, Videodrome versus The Fly. The Fly is going to win. the underdog in that one. I am absolutely <laughs> underdog. And what it does mean, though, is that whoever represents the guest list is going to have to watch Videodrome. Watch so. Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think oh I'm adding God, to the yeah. world with that. <laughs> That's Paul's pervert side coming out. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a sicko. I get to, watch, get to make somebody watch Videodrome. <laughs> 2022 not a complete (laughs) write-off you already said it somewhere in our conversation you said this was going to be your recommendation uh maybe it was your recommendation for the guest list i want your recommendation doesn't have to be the same movie it's just if somebody's listening to this they are or more or less familiar with david cronenberg what's the one movie that you'd recommend they check out out of these five this week uh i probably want to stick on the video i'm actually going to say scanners because I think not enough people have seen Scanners either. And as much as we talked about how, where it gets to it is a bit problematic. And if you get past Stephen Lack, that film had, as you've also commented, the genesis of greatness to it. And yeah. just be yeah. aware of shit-ass lead actor and everything else you'll probably really enjoy. On our next episode, we'll be ranking video game movies of the 2000s, which includes 2001's Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, 2003's House of the Dead, 2005's Doom, 2006 Silent Hill, and 2008's Max Payne. You've been a guest many times where people know you well, but in case there's a new listener who doesn't hasn't heard you and hasn't heard me torture you in on one of these episodes. I don't think I did here. I no, not I tortured at all. you here. No, this has been yeah. look, the fact that we're going to come in under two hours for a recording proves that you haven't tortured me. So take that as a positive <laughs> or a negative, depending on which way you, you view listening to the two of us go back and forth. But uh, I, well, you should go back and check out all the previous episodes of the Binge Movies podcast mm-hmm. if you haven't already. If you're new to the show and new to me, then check out those episodes and you can hear just what kind of torture Jason has had in store for me several, several times over. Pretty much the Halloween episode broke me completely and I was <laughs> a, a quivering mess by the end of that one. So there's a, a thorough recommendation. And for our show... You were you're a mess at the end of the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series as well. <laughs> it's become gonna, a yearly tradition. And we're doing it all again you- for the next Halloween yeah, it's become a yearly tradition to make you watch every movie and a horror movie franchise <laughs> for one episode. And by the end of it, 
vo- both of our voices are hoarse. We don't even really like each other anymore. <laughs> and uh, y- you don't even know what your name is or what your scores are, which is very <laughs> unusual for you. So Got it right this week, though. So hooray for those playing you in the did. at home. But the next time you'll be back, more, I think, Ooh. if I've got my calculations correct, it'll be a, it'll be a horror tradition, a Halloween tradition, Yep. Uh, unlike any other between you and I. And, and are we we're revealing we're splitting the- it into two? <laughs> We are now. <laughs> we are now. Uh, it's so. It's a franchise so big, so massive. We're actually going to do two episodes. So it's you're going to have have a season of five episodes of our forty percent of which forty percent <laughs> is going to be Paul, and forty percent is going to be the exact same franchise. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. Yes, the legend continues because they're back. It's Muggers, Zero, and Ghoulies 4. Have I got a treat for you. A satanic story with something for everyone. Like what? Drugs, weird sex, ritualistic stuff. Black magic, devil worship. So I'll let you guess which one that's going to be. But uh, Should we yeah. also like tease something we've been working on in the background? But- Struggling with this ancient ungodly evil. What other horrors await? Maybe even some fun stuff with catheters. Ghoulies 2. I now own a true VHS rental copy of Ghoulies 2. Wow. And it's mostly inspired by you. And am I saying that that's a tease for what we're going to be watching this Halloween? Oh, God. I don't know. Yeah, Ghoulies go to college, Paul. Do you know that? <laughs> I've seen that. In Ameri- Here, here's the thing. In America, we won't let immigrants go to college. <laughs> but Ghoulies. But we will let Ghoulies. <laughs> Which there's, there's a certain dialect that your people have that I don't understand, <laughs> where if, when they say Australia, it's Australia. It's like you said the same thing to me. No! <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong! One of them is right. Here, here's what I'm saying. As an ethnocentric American, as an ignorant, ugly American. Come on okay, now. Don't sell yourself short. Y- you speak more like me, and that makes me feel more comfortable. That's oh, right. okay. So I've become Americanized in my podcasting era, watching all these films, perhaps. You've become Americanized, but you say cunt too much. Well, I haven't said it at all today. What are you talking about? I, you've said cunt 15 said times. I've had, to edit, I've had to edit them all out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> the things you said, Paul, I, they can't air in the United States. <laughs> this isn't Videodrome. You think Cronenberg's bad? Sh- <laughs> Fucking Paul... <laughs> He's way yeah. less. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. All right, Paul. I always appreciate it. Please go check out the Countdown Movie and Tea Reviews podcast. If you're like, Thanks I so. just can't find them. Just look at the top of the charts in most countries around the world and you will Absolutely find them not there. True. Except on the uh, the brand new Good Pods uh, app where we've both been charting pretty high there for a while. Yeah, that's correct. And yeah. people don't know this, but Paul actually owns Good Pods. <laughs> so <not> revealed that. <laughs> Very clever. Don't let my te- my podcast ever get to top because then people will start to ask questions. That's exactly yeah. right. You create a proprietary podcast space. You put yourself at like two, three, four, yep. and people are like, "Man, Countdown's a hit." Yeah, just, just consistently can't quite break number one. Maybe we should listen to it, and try and help it get there. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, I feel comfortable now. We've officially least recording time. We'll see after editing. Cross the two hour threshold. Oof. I can't hold Paul for less than two hours contractually. I've now met his requirements. Uh, he's had his chance to say everything he wanted to say. We are I now did. officially long-winded. It's time to take <laughs> us home. Paul, you're my best podcasting friend, even though you don't know my name. And uh, if we never speak again, Jackson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>
If we never speak again, Paul, I want you to remember one thing. Please. Until next time, Ben John.